Hello and welcome to the BEA show. I'm here with my lovely co-host Saul. Saul, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, happy to be here once again, back again. Uh, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. So today we're taking a little bit of a different approach to what we did last time. Um, so we're going to be taking a look at esports from a slightly different perspective. So I see esports as an industry as, from a 21-year-old female's perspective. So I look um, at the competitive side, I'm really fully invested in the behind the scenes, and I'm just really invested in the industry as a whole. But I know there are a lot of people out there who have completely different views and different approaches and understanding of the industry. So we have a very special guest today who is the founder of the Family Gaming Database and the author of Taming Gaming Book. So we've got Andy Robertson. How are you Hello. doing today? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. It's great. Good, good. We're very lucky to have you today. Thank you for your time. Um, so just to start off, for, for people who might not know you, do you want to just sort of give a brief introduction mm. about yourself? Yep. So I'm a journalist. I've specialised in families and video games since kind of the Wii. Uh, it, was a, it was a thing. Um, and I, 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 was, I wanted to become a journalist. And that was when I, when I started. And you need to kind of find a niche. And so I had young kids and obviously Nintendo had just launched their console. So it was a sort of a natural fit. And then I just kind of carried on. Lots of other journalists obviously covered the Wii. Uh, and the family gaming thing but they kind of moved on I think and I just sort of stuck in this this area because I really liked the way it meant that I could sort of talk about not just technology but families and how families cope with the technology what was the reality of having some of this kind of gaming tech in the home and so that's kind of 15 20 years ago really um, and I've just sort of carried on tracking with that um, in different ways, have had a YouTube channel for a, a chunk of time. Most recently wrote this book for parents called Taming Gaming, which is kind of aimed at parents who are a bit worried about games, but takes them in quite a, a game positive and an engagement um, path. And then uh, off the back of that, I created what I thought was going to be a, a small um, website to promote the book, which was a searchable database of the games I talked about in the book. Um, but it became very popular and it's kind of taken over my life. So it's kind of become at the moment the main thing I do. And there's like 1700 games on there and it, it, it helps parents find the information that they need very quickly um, to sort of re reduce the time they have to invest, but also to take them on kind of a journey into well, what are games? You know, why is my child playing them? Maybe I do, do I want to play them and sort of scratching that itch. So those are kind of the main things I've, I've done over the years. Well, so, oh, go on, so. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, so, when you say obviously you started almost like when the Wii came about, were you gaming before then? Were you playing games when you were younger? Like how how did gaming start for you in that kind of sense? Yeah, yeah. So I I grew up in the era of um, I had a Commodore sixty four, and then a Commodore one two eight and Spectrum, and so the kind of eight bit era, and then I graduated on to. The Amiga. I had like there's this kind of Amiga Atari ST kind of competitiveness, like Nintendo Sega kind of stuff. Um, I really enjoyed that. I think the, the Amiga is where my kind of where I really clicked with games, and it was a really important part of my childhood. It was something that I shared with friends, did a bit of game making, and was into kind of the demo scene um, and to sort of and shareware software on the Amiga, which is kind of this uh, burgeoning kind of indie game scene, really. Um, but then I had I never quite transitioned to the the SNES until a bit later, uh, and get, or did a bit. 
but then kind of dropped off kind of i think because of the switch from compu- uh, computer to a console in the uk we weren't kind kind of quite as welded to that mm. and so i kind of bounced off it a bit but then came back around the gamecube era um, i guess i was just sort of i had I had sort of kids myself by then so maybe i was thinking about that they're only very small at that time yeah um but so GameCube, PS2, and then on into the Wii, and and I was kind of rediscovering that kind of thing that I'd loved as a as a kind of a small boy, really. And so it was nice to be able to think, oh, actually, this isn't something. It's something I need to leave behind. This is something that's going to travel with me. Yeah, definitely. And there's like a lot of a lot of parents have had like experience gaming when they were younger. But um, I know. So I'm I'm not slating you, mum, if you're watching this. <laughs> but my mum would game. She had a Sega Mega Drive when she was younger. She would tell us about it. Um, and she has experienced gaming. And all of a sudden, when all three of her children and her husband are in the gaming industry and fully all, full force gaming for their lives, yeah, she's a bit like hesitant about it. So it's nice that you've sort of you've grown up with it all and you've sort of carried it on into a career to help other parents. It's mm. quite nice. Um, so where did the journalism sort of spark in between all of this? So I had done a computer science degree and kind of by the end of the degree, I realised the bit I'd enjoyed the most was actually writing the dissertation. And I kind of pivoted that dissertation where everyone else was kind of doing programming projects and creating and doing lots of coding. I didn't really do very much coding at all and just wrote about human computer interaction and kind of turned it into a book report and just kind of realized oh this is what I love doing I just love writing and so then when after that degree um I I got a job in a computing firm but as a technical author so essentially writing kind of the online help um and the kind of guides to help people use the software better and sort of just did that for probably 10 years out of university and just really sort of develop the writing and and kind of the enjoyment of explaining things succinctly and clearly to to people who really needed to know that information and I see that kind of mirrored in myself I do today you know I used to write this help stuff about like tax software and student admission software so it's very kind of dry sort of (laughs) topic Um, but really I was doing quite a similar thing like I'm now doing that same kind of work but I'm now writing about video games and trying to explain them very succinctly and clearly to parents. So you end up being very careful about language. Like I wouldn't say a, a platformer or I wouldn't say a shooter. I would say a, a running and jumping game or a game where you're shooting, which I know people who, who know about the genres are like, that's ridiculous. It's a platformer, Andy. Like why? Is... But for a parent, if you use that, that kind of jargon, it can be another barrier. And so it's trying to be really careful with language. And so that that's kind of the journey. And so, you know, I'm off, you know, I'm happy to write about anything. And I often say how I had a whole time reviewing reviewing Hoovers, which I found very enjoyable. Not bad. Very, um, that's a bit different. So it's not it's not really necessarily that the video games isn't isn't kind of the super hot hot driver. It's it's having something to write about that people want to read. And so obviously video games are this hot topic. And then that's there's that coming together of kind of my knowledge and my desire to communicate. I'm sort of doing doing the work here that maybe other people don't have an incentive to do because they kind of maybe think, oh, parents will get it. They don't necessarily, you know, they just need to uh, they just need to read the ratings and just say no. (laughs) It's often what other people say, think as if it's a simple thing. Um, But the reality is it's complicated. And often parents have the conversation going on over their head 
and no one actually talking to them at the moment like what do you do now while your child's growing up if we don't know what the science is saying yet but okay but my kids are here playing now what do i do in the meantime Checking this stuff out so um yeah that's kind of again in terms of the writing that's kind of been the trajectory yeah i've always appreciated i know i think i talked about this uh on the last podcast where i talked about our my dad used to play games like the Splinter Cell and stuff and I'd watch him play and I always enjoyed that. So I always have like a great appreciation for parents who do take the time to get to like understand these things. So now, even though my dad doesn't necessarily play games as much as he used to anymore, he maybe play I think he plays like Call of Duty Mobile sometimes on his phone. And that's like the extent <laughs> of his of his uh that's pretty game. Cool, though, playing Call of Duty yeah, on yeah. your phone. It's not bad. I think he does he likes it. I think he does a yeah. good job, so I hear. Um, but yeah, so even though he doesn't necessarily game as much anymore, he still takes that time because he knows about it to, to like talk to me about it and he has the interest. So I, I, yeah, any, any kind of like parenting from that angle, I think he's massively appreciated. And I know as, as esports and gaming grows, as it has been doing where more and more kids nowadays are doing it over potentially other things like traditional sports and things. Mm. Um, I think it's more important than ever really now that like we at the British Esports Association with the education stuff that we do to help these young kids understand, but also to help like you guys, uh, like you do, sorry, with mm. the parents uh, angle yeah. and getting parents to understand exactly what it is that the kids are getting up to. Yeah, yeah, that's, and the joining those two things up is a really powerful thing. I think the parents need to understand it so that they can, you know, it, it allays their fears and they can, you know, have that connection. But also I think these sort of younger even older teenagers getting into, they need that kind of adult in the room, helping them get into this thing. Because because those those adults, the parents, have got a lot of skills and a lot of advice, which is really relevant. Um, you know, I often compare it to, you know, look, if your child's getting into esports, I'll say to parents, and we think about it as if they were learning an instrument or learning a foreign language, like be enthusiastic for them, but also be there to think, well, how can you, do, how can you challenge yourself? How can you be more uh, ambitious for what you're doing? Um, and I think that's really helpful. My my son's into Rocket League, and so we have we have a really I think quite a healthy, you know, back and forth about that. And I learn stuff from him, and I think he learns a bit of stuff from me as well. So um, that that connection I think is valuable. It's great to hear you doing that. So you said about your desire to communicate, and that sort of helped spark this sort of stuff a little bit. Um, so I know at BEA we have um, Saul sort of touched on it, but we put together a parents' guide, just as sort of different areas of competitive gaming, um, the benefits, and then we did address sort of like gaming addiction and just sort of things that were quite beneficial. And other than that, and your database and your book, there's not really much out there for parents. So, like, why do you think? that it's not there like what do, what are your thoughts on you filling a, a void almost with your hmm. content yeah i think there are i mean there is quite a lot of discourse you could say around it and there are a lot of headlines that are kind of worrying and there's also a lot of lot of content saying oh it's fine you don't need to worry um but it's quite polarized because um when you have a you know a topic like this or kind of a new media what you see and again when i was looking at the book i was researching what well, is this is this unique to games or is this what always happens and the kind of the moral panic and the kind of concerns and the excitement and that polarization is just something which is just always happens whether it's video games whether it's radio or whether it's 
written novels in the in the research it was fascinating to go, to go back and see um people saying very similar things about novels that they were going to distract people from their work because they were reading them while they were working and they were going to lose the ability to to sort of figure out what was real and what was fiction um and they were going to get addicted to them because they could have them in their pockets these stories that were suddenly portable because of the printing press and so um i think that polarization is is common um and so it's not a surprise but so what gets missed in that though is that it happens like i was saying kind of over parents heads and so there's not actually a conversation going on because it's just pro and anti and so creating space kind of in the middle to say okay but what's the reality of this not to say that there's no problem say about violence or addiction but to be very clear about okay the science says there's a correlation maybe between children who are more violent in the playground and play more violent games but it doesn't say that there's, that there's a causation and that's often how things get reported you know you get a report like that and the headline will be video games cause children to be violent whereas i had a very similar set of data for the lockdown about the radio um how there was a correlation between anxiety in people um during the pandemic and listening to the radio more but but when that is reported it is something like you know brits turn to the radio um when they're anxious to, to ease anxiety um during the pandemic whereas if that data is video games it is video games cause anxiety and it's the same data but it's just interpreted in different ways and so if we can clear that ground and have a conversation about what's the reality of uh, of what games are doing in children's lives, so the, the positives and the negatives, then parents are really eager to do that, and they're you know they're really keen to sort of play a part in this in this area of their children's lives. As you talk to them, actually, also you discover that they realise that they've withdrawn, and that actually, in some sense, they kind of feel a bit like they're losing their kids to this stuff. Um, I have I have parents, mums in particular, will often say as part of the work I'm doing. They'll come back to me and say, oh, it's been great. But you know what? I feel like I've got my boys back. Um, and there's that, you know, it's quite emotion, quite a lot of emotion wrapped up in that phrase because they were had a sense that they were losing their their kids to this thing that they didn't understand. And so I think that's that's kind of why that, that there's, not, there's not a lot in this space is because it's quite hard to hold that middle ground. Um, but when you do, I think it's it's quite powerful, really. Yeah, I think g gaming especially is one of those things where, I, th I think it's I can't I, off the top of my head think of many other examples but where kids potentially know more about it and obviously because they've grown up with it know more about it than the parents and so it is that kind of like back and forth it's like oh my kids obviously are really into this but I still want to be that parental figure and help them understand this and help them keep them safe and all this kind of stuff and so it's yeah trying to find that balance there's a lot of things I think where you can think about all sorts of like politics or whatever it is where there is very much like a, a one side versus the other side, but there needs to be that conversation in the middle to try and figure out like where the the balance is and how can you do it without it becoming an obsession. But how uh, and if you if you're wanting to go like for example if you're an esports professional you want to go down that route, how can you nurture your child to do that without it becoming uh, a problem or without them forgetting? Uh, there was a report. Um, uh, oh, not a report. Sorry, there was a conversation on BBC uh, Radio Four. Uh, I think it was it was last night or this morning. Um, but there was someone talking about with the new with the announcement of the Commonwealth Games having uh, esports coming this this year, um, and they were saying, "Oh, we've had this survey where it, kids like twenty three percent, I think was the figure, twenty three percent of kids confuse video gaming with exercise." And so, to me, what that says is. Oh well, it's, that's not the fault of the games, though. That's just the fault of 
the education be- behind esports and edu- and getting exercise. So obviously, if you ask anyone in the esports industry, they'll tell you, "Oh, yeah, we have like diet coaches, we have uh, exercise coaches, and we have these things in place where it's not just about playing games. There is that element, like with traditional sports, where other people where other people are getting involved to do the the active stuff." And so I think that's more a case of just educating those people who don't know that. And I think it's if that starts at home with the parents, I think the like the better it is for sure. Mm. Yeah, and no, that's really fascinating. I, I often see that whenever I'm on programs talking talking about the subjects, or I see it sort of secondhand. Um, and I, but I think that the danger is that we kind of hear that kind of report and we get a bit defensive and be like, oh, it's not, it's fine, you know, it's fine, you know, it's not, it's not, you're missing the point, sort of thing. And again, it becomes an argument. And really, I think what's happening there is that um, sort of mainstream media um, doesn't have a very nuanced understanding of these sports. So struggles to know, well, how do we talk about this with authenticity? And the most easy thing and the most kind of the, the, the way of these, this is kind of these resistance is to then end up think, finding a negative because you can find a report like that, find a stat, and then you've got your segment done. Obviously, you're under a time pressure. And it takes more time to actually talk about, okay, what does this mean? Why are we, like, why is it so confused? Like, why have, why is esports included in this? You know, it's not just, it's not like muscled its way in because it's a big business. It's because they're, uh, people who understand it think it's appropriate. And so actually then having a more sort of rounded conversation. And so that's usually what I'm trying to do is to sort of give people other angles on why esports or why video games are interesting. Uh, and you, that needs to be a little bit jarring. So I'll often do, you know, have video games in, in spaces where you wouldn't expect them and um, like arts festivals or I do some exhibiting of games. Like in Exeter Cathedral, I had an event. And, and it, those are really helpful because, again, they kind of reframe and reframe it in a way that kind of makes sense to a Radio 4 listener. And they don't have many, they don't have many sort of angles on that that aren't either, oh, games are great, they're positive, there's loads of benefits, or... Oh, games are terrible. They stop kids exercising, and it's like it just gets into this kind of, you know, pro and con debate. Yeah, and it's like as you said, it's all about understanding, really. And you mm. having these platforms to to fill that gap and provide both a positive and negative side is is really important. So, um, in terms of platforms and things, start with the book. Mm-hmm. I know you've had. Um, like gaming's been a part of your life and it's been a passion of yours so how did taming gaming sort of form in your mind and then become a product yeah that's a really good question um it it really came out of visiting schools and i'd go into a school and we'd have a conversation a bit like this and i but i kind of do a 10 minute presentation usually and i was very much saying i had this idea which I still, st- I still stand by which is if you've got a child who loves video games the most powerful thing you can do is to play games yourself um and parents sometimes heard me say that and they thought I meant um play games with their children which I wouldn't disparage it's a great idea but what I was actually saying was a more difficult and the less welcome idea that maybe them as adults should spend some time playing games because it it sounds like a bit of a mistake like games are for kids why are you telling me to play them like I'm not gonna and I would literally be stopped sort of halfway through those conversations by my mum or dad who would say something like oh I like what you're saying I, I know I need to engage with my kids, but can I just tell you, I'm never going to play a game because there's just too many buttons and I don't like shooting things. And the other parents would basically nod and be like, oh, yeah, why would you? Because that, you know, quite understandably, that is the kind of the general consensus around games, even though we know that they're played by, you know, average ages like 30, 40 and 
um, it's not just kids. Still, the, kind of how they're perceived in the culture is they're kind of games for kids because the kind of popular games that get lots of airtime in terms of adverts or, you know, on bus stops and before movies are the games which are relatively juvenile. Although they may be rated for adults, that they're clearly just kind of war simulations that are probably aimed at an older teenager. Um, and so, but I would then talk to those parents after those sessions. They'd come and talk to me and I had this bunch of games that I knew were really effective at helping them taking their first steps into playing video games. Um, and it wasn't Call of Duty, <laughs> um, but equally it wasn't Candy Crush. The, these were games that were often kind of indie games that had kind of a meaningful edge to them, but were quick to play, were cheap. They could play them on devices they already had and they didn't take too long. And then those parents would often come and find me next time I was back in the school. And they'd say two things. They'd say, firstly, their kids were like surprised at them playing a game and like, were like, what do you mean you're playing a game? That's not what you do. And then they'd have a very different conversation in the home with their children. And they'd have different questions to ask, obviously, because they were playing as an insider. Um, but the other thing they would they would talk about um, would be the, the effect of that, that conversation. And again, it, that's kind of where that kind of I was hearing that, you know what, I've got my boys back kind of moment. And sometimes I'd be stood in a school hall and the, the parent would be in tears because <laughs> they would say that and then they would hear themselves and they would realise oh, I was, I, they would realize that, that they had the sense that they were losing them. So they were quite worried about it, but they didn't have anyone to, to say. And so I re realised that really we weren't talking about this. Parents weren't talking to each other and there wasn't really a resource I could then send them to after those sessions. And so we came up with this idea of the, the book, which I've got here, Taming Gaming, um, but, tr but trying to... Um, recreate those conversations by having it unusually in sort of two halves and it was crowdfunded which meant i could do this the the, the publisher kind of laughs at the book and he's like they always talk about it. it's like that crazy book with the the, the the second half that no one else would ever create because so the first bit is going back to research and um looking at you know what does addiction mean what does the research say about that or violence or gambling or online harms but also being very clear about what are the benefits of games you know it tells my story about why games are a really positive part of my my life as a as a dad and in our family um but then the, the, the back of the book um then aims to recreate those conversations with parents about those game suggestions so we laid out these games on a double page spread much like a kind of a jamie oliver recipe book so what the game is what ingredients you need to play um uh, sort of a method for getting started some serving suggestions of how other families have played it and then something to follow other games and that was just kind of picking out those games that I had tried out with parents. I knew were really good first steps for, for people who hadn't played games themselves. Um, and I was able to do that because of the, because of the crowdfunding. So the, the, that second half of the book is just full of those kind of suggestions. And the first, the first section are, are games which are aimed at people who've never played games before. And I'm sort of picking out those ones. And it goes on then to look at games that you might play with, with your kids or there might the games that are un, have an unusual theme, like you may be going into the wild or helping your mental health or connecting with grandparents. So some kind of like a bit Netflixy kind of groupings that kind of are a bit jarring. Um, yeah, and so that in terms of the book, that's that's kind of how it how it came to be. It was out of those conversations with parents and realising actually I haven't got anywhere to send them. If, if there had been something like this, I'd quite happily have not done it. It, it was kind of a three-year project. And I had, because there's so many images in the back, I had to get permissions for every image. <laughs> so that, was like, that was like three months of work, oh, gosh. You know, emailing lots and lots of publishers um, and getting getting written permission so I could include them. So, um, but now it's there. I'm really I'm really pleased, and I know that you know obviously I re I refer to it, but also other um, 
sort of healthcare professionals, parenting advice people will, will use it as well. So it feels like it's something that's kind of been been kind of welcomed by um, you know by parents and by people who work with parents. Yeah. Is so with you saying obviously you talked about with the the games that you'd recommend potentially for for people who have never played games before, these parents who haven't played games before. Is the one that comes to mind that you recommend generally more than others, or is there a game that you've played recently that you think, oh, actually, this would be a really good one to, to recommend? Yeah, so um, there is one. I'll just find that on the page. Uh, and then the, the slight qualifying thing here is that that these games end up being a little bit morbid <laughs> because um, if you're trying to illustrate, oh, this isn't for kids, then something that's a, like, a bit of a weighty topic is both something that kids probably aren't interested in that much and equally, it's signposts that this is this has been designed for parents, yeah, uh, and starts a conversation of like, oh, how can you have a game about this? So this game here, which is a mobile phone game called Bury Me, Bury Me, My Love, which is about a journey you take with a Syrian woman. You you play her husband in the game, um, and uh, she together you decide that she needs to travel to Europe, um, and she takes her phone with her and a few possessions, and then leaves, and you're you're left behind, and you play it just on your phone. You just have text messages that pop up. It's like a sort of a, a messaging game. And you have this very kind of nuanced conversation, like just like you would with a spouse or partner, as she travels. Um, and, and, but it happens in real time. So you won't hear from her for a while, like in the real world. And then she, she'll suddenly pop up and say, oh, I've got to the bus stop, I've got to the bus station, but it's going dark and there's no one here. I'm not quite sure what I should do. And, and you don't tell her what to do, but you'll respond with things like, well, how do you feel? Is there anyone else around? What other options have you got? Or maybe you just send her a smiley face and there's just this kind of connection going on. And depending on how you respond to her, you soon realise that your relationship is having an impact on the decisions that she's making. So what starts off as a very kind of linear, like at the start, you're like, why don't I just watch a film about this? What's the point? This is just like an interactive story. But it becomes very, very branching. So there's about a thousand different routes you can take and about 20 different endings. So in my family... We play this together on separate devices. And then at, din- at the dinner time, we'd each get our phones out and say, oh, where, where, where are you today? And on the, on, your, on the game, you have a little app that shows you where you went. And each of us were very quickly in different places. My daughter got much further, much quicker because she was prepared to go in a boat without a life jacket. And so we were like, Excellent. Okay. we need to talk about this before you go traveling. Because like, <laughs> why did you get in that boat? <laughs> Um, but so that's kind of a helpful example because it is very much a game. It tracks how much money she's got. It tracks her relationship with you. It's You're having a big impact in the story. Um, but at the same time, it's something which an adult could connect to. And just for me personally, um, this is part of how I'd introduce it usually. I'd say, you know, I felt like I knew about what it was like to be a refugee. I knew those stories. I watched the news. You know, I watched TED Talks. I'm kind of a relatively you know well connected you know i feel like i'm i'm not just oblivious to it but it wasn't until playing that game that the next time i saw a small boat crossing the english channel on the news i was just just in pieces because suddenly it had become my story and so on a narrative level it's really a really powerful connection and so if there's a parent who is up for that and not not all parents well they might some of them i'll talk to some people and they'll say actually it's a bit sounds a bit heavy and just just fine i've got other games um to suggest um but people who are up for that you know, suddenly they have a really powerful experience and then the natural thing to say is oh what else could i play is this a one-off and of course it's not you know this is just the tip of the iceberg and so then then they're kind of off and then that's what the book and the database um kind of then takes them forward um but it's, so, so games like that are really helpful i think yeah that's fantastic i've, I've never heard of that but that, i think that's probably mm-hmm. going to go on my list at some point i don't know brian do you ever t- i don't know how much like you play 
outside of i know you're a big overwatch fan would you play like games like that very often do you have much experience with that so i've got a one on my phone i'm just finding it now um can't remember what it was called um but it is a very similar thing of like you have to solve a murder and you get given the um victim's phone and you get to go through all their messages and like voicemails and it's very very interactive and then as you said you almost feel like you're fully immersed in the story and you are connected in a way and it's it's free and it's just on your phone like you get the notifications as they pop up and you just feel like you're sort of involved and that's I feel like that's a really really good step for parents and obviously as you said not everyone would be like entirely interested in it but it it does sound very very interesting as a concept for one but just as an introduction and I think that's really really cool and it's, it just starts a very different conversation. So, you know, that it means that parents suddenly have different things to ask, you know, that because they've experienced that game, they will naturally ask, and, and, and they know about the progression. And so that well, next time they're asking about another game, they might say things like, oh, what are you doing? Who are you in the game? What's happening? What are you trying to achieve? Or are you getting better? Or, you know, how long is it? And, so, and again, what, that's very different to being like, why can't you stop for dinner? You know, if that's the only interaction, then... You, you're unlikely to have much kind of equity or engagement in that space, which is, you know, just means you kind of, you both, you know, parenting's hard work, but equally you're missing out on this really lovely part of life. Yeah, definitely. So moving swiftly to the database. So mm. obviously that came from your book and that was a mm. sort of development of it and an ever-growing thing. So. Yeah. How did you sort of make the change between the book and to this massive database? Yeah. So when I started, it was just supposed to, like I said, it's just supposed to be this little supporting thing. Because one of the things I, I hadn't managed to get into the book, because it just went out of time, was an index. And so I was aware that you couldn't really search for these games. And often even I'd be in a conversation being like, I know this game's here and I have to flick through the pages. And so um, I was creating a, a, this this site and a friend of mine who makes databases said oh why don't you make it like a little searchable database and so we took those pages at the back of the book and essentially created a single page for each of those um on those on those games and did a little search function and i guess the sort of along with that was this kind of unusual grouping the sort of netflix style groupings of games which started with games for people who don't play games which was kind of these games for parents but then went into, as I was saying, you know, games which are educational or games where you go into the wild or um, games that help your mental health. Um, and sort of the sort of categories that you don't usually hear about that much. You know, it's not the shooters and the role play and roguelikes. This is quite a, kind of different. Um, and the, what happened was that the, it was in the early stages of the pandemic and the, the particularly those lists of games for mental health just became really popular. Particularly, we had one in there, which was games that help you find calm. And I think and it was, it was quite simple. It was a, a short blog post about what the theme is and then handpicked games by me where I would either have experienced myself. This is a very calming game or I've worked with families um, in my kind of wider work where they have, have found that that's been a really helpful thing either, to, you know, to use a bedtime or actually as you know, part of kind of family life. <clears throat> so um, and, and that, yeah, that list became popular. Uh, I think parents kind of found it useful to, to kind of realize that 
in those early stages of the pandemic when kids were just at home, that maybe if they weren't doing their homework and that they were playing a game, you know, along with the connection and those sort of aspects that we kind of knew about, maybe this was another way that they were coping with a quite, quite a chaotic and, and worrying world by these games which were coming. And also some parents liked the idea because they were saying, oh, my kids like games and they really need to find some calm. I'm going to actually get them to play some of these games like, you know, in the evening we're going to play them together as a way to cope with what's going on. And so that beca- that just, I guess, struck a chord, as you could understand, with the timing and ended up on like BBC Breakfast and stuff. And so kind of got got a bit of um, sort of profile, I guess, which led to a little bit of funding which meant we then moved into, um, you know, we gave it a proper bit of branding. It it was kind of like black and white when we started. It was a real kind of big, you know, it it didn't look like it does now. Um, uh, Yuki were great. It was one of our early backers um, and asked about games. And so um, it just gave us a little bit more momentum. And that then took us into um, some connections with other organisations. There's an organisation called the Playability Initiative, who are making a, a video game. Um, for the accessibility community um, and just doing work in that area. And they liked the fact that we kind of were addressing families, but we had this gap that we had data about how to find game for the right age or for the right system or for the right theme, but we didn't have anything about, oh, has it got subtitles or how many buttons you need to press? So if you had a child that had a particular impairment or disability or particular cognitive need, you know, you couldn't search for that and you couldn't do it anywhere else. And so their idea was, well, why don't we add some of this data to the database? And so that's then took us in this direction of accessibility. Um, and again, it became much bigger than we kind of anticipated. I thought we were going to have a text field with a little bit of description about what it might do. But it soon became apparent that it could be quite useful to have quite a lot of data. And so it's grown to be about 100 data points now. So you can search by pretty much any criteria you might have, whether that's, you know, blind motion sickness you need a particular type of remapping of keys or a particular setup you, you know if you don't want to have games we have to hold buttons or equally games that don't put you on the clock the sort of the cognitive side lots of kids don't get on with that kind of pressure and so those things all kind of come together and um it's proved to be it's proved to be really popular so so you know it gets like 10 15 000 views a day um from parents and it's great to see you know see what they're googling parents are, are, are avidly researching this stuff um and then finding the information they want so yeah it's it's a great thing to be sort of to have created um and we kind of got quite high ambitions for where we're going to go with it too yeah it's awesome so um accessibility for both myself and bea because um i say a lot of people i say no and don't know but i am Hmm. a wheelchair user and um, i do have a disability but I don't want to sort of put that in the world um, and like make that my brand. So um, your accessibility features are amazing. Like oh, I know we're collaborating on a upcoming BEA project, which should be out soon. It'll probably be out before this. Yeah, should be. Um, about how games are accessible and i know even though i don't need accessibility features myself uh, there are people like we've done a lot of content about adaptive equipment how different people use it and it's sort of about breaking that stigma that everyone's different Mm. like i may have a disability but i use a keyboard and mouse however someone else might have the same disability but needs to use an adaptive controller having that information readily available for either yourself or a parent to be able to see right i can play this game because it has 
like subtitles or it has mm. the ability to remap buttons easily or has um oh my god i can't remember what it was called for rocket league to f- slow it down as you get closer to the ball yeah. and just having that information available is really important and i think what we're doing as like a collaboration as well like especially with esports titles that information unless you're looking for it really really hard or even in the game settings you can't find that information so it's nice that there's a platform to be able to have that and mm. that's definitely really really important to to consider as well yeah thanks it feels like there's kind of like a sort of rising tide of this kind of when we started it there was it it was you know there wasn't a lot um, and it, but you know there's increasingly more information and some of the platform holders are doing a bit as well but it's been nice to be a place that's kind of bring, has the time to bring all that together and kind of do the legwork to make the searching super simple um and it's been fascinating for me as well i've but coming into this i would have said i would you know i, I didn't think i had a disability or an impairment particularly um uh, had some sort of mental health challenges but you know that as many people do and but as i've kind of looked at this i've realized that really we all are different requirements and different impairments different abilities um, and so for me, some of the, the settings that I now look for regularly in games that I wasn't aware of is with, with aiming. If I haven't got a, like a gyro aiming on a game, I find it cognitively very difficult to use two sticks um, because I'm a relatively slow processor of information. So if I'm, if I'm processing information and using the sticks as well, I have this kind of nausea experience. And so, you know, games that offer a gyro aiming so that I can do that are a big help, along with games that signpost people's names because i'm not great at remembering names and also games that maps because again i'm terrible at finding my way and often go back out the door i came in and go back way back on a level and think oh i'm just thinking i'm thinking i'm progressing but actually i'm going backwards and feeling a bit silly about it but you know it's just it's just that's who i am and that's kind of one of the some of the challenges so to be able to you know again search and identify games that have those different combinations um has been useful to me personally but also it's been great to just get a better understanding coming into this completely you know, completely naive really um of you know what this area is and you know, learning every day i have lots of conversations what's nice now is that we have a, a questionnaire on the database that if a developer wants to they can work with us or on their own to go through the questionnaire which fills out those 100 different fields and those conversations are really fruitful so not only does that mean we get really data about their game but also pretty much always there's two or three things that they will say oh i hadn't thought about that yeah I, i've remapped all the keys but i forgot i hadn't remapped the key to, pro- to pause the game yeah that would be easy i'll add that one or oh i didn't know that holding buttons was an issue yeah i can switch out to a toggle i'll do that in the next update and so al- along with gathering the data just again similar to the sort of stuff with parents sort of propagating a conversation about accessibility um feels really helpful as well and i've really enjoyed enjoyed that and you know each time i have those conversations i'm also so um yeah it's been it's just it's great it's, it's lovely to make something that people are finding useful that i also enjoy making it's kind of like this sort of you know the holy grail of kind of content uh, so it's not tax it's not documenting tax software anymore um, <laughs> but it's making me happy <laughs> yeah it's funny you say that about the the directions thing as well i always i'm or anyone you ask i'm off with directions if you send me out of the house without a sat nav I might yeah, come back in a week. Been... I might come back in three months. Who knows? Uh, so yeah. I feel like that has... Uh, I've never really thought about that, but I feel like that does actually translate into some of the games I play where I'm just like, I'm so lost. I don't know where I am. Please help yeah. someone. And it's so... easy to blame yourself, isn't it? To think, oh, I'm just bad at this. I need to get better. I need to try harder. And actually, it's it's more like the, the barrier you're facing is an unintended barrier that the developer didn't want you to make. Like the developers might want you to have some barrier 
but along with those they can end up with unintended barriers which can actually can stop you playing the game i've just i've just recently finished um plague's tale i've been playing what's one of the games I, I like to have a game that i'm playing through with my older kids now my sort of daughter's 18s we've been playing through that and that hasn't got any difficulty settings and there's been quite a few times where we've almost had to stop and i know that other people would have found it just a hard stop that they wouldn't get past it because there's no way to make it easier um and and it's easy in those scenarios to think oh it's just me i just need to i've got you know i just need to get better but actually though that is not an intended barrier some of those things they're unintended and so whereas games are then providing ways to reveal the intended barriers and get rid of the unintended ones so and then the experiences you know can be enjoyed much more broadly um and much more richly, I think, by lots of, lots of different people. And as games become more mainstream, obviously that becomes more and more important. Yeah, I think back to um, like my dad, and I think about how uh, when I was younger, he'd play games like Splinter Cell, and that kind of inspired my love for like stealth games. Do you ever mm. see that with like your kids? Do you ever see like your influence on the games <laughs> that you like, kind of like rubbing off on them? um so uh, well some some uh, but they, they've, they've all got, got their own stuff as well so i've really enjoyed sharing the uncharted games with my daughter when she was late teens and then we moved on through those to the last of us and the last part two when she was a bit older um and then we've just done plague's tale um so and she she's really chimed with the, the characters and the stories in those games and so that maybe that's my influence but in other areas like my son's really into Rocket League. Um, and while I quite like those games, I'm never good enough to compete at a high level. And that's something that he's really good at. So that, that's that, that. And then my uh, middle son really is really into shooting games and l- loves the kind of the team and the collaboration. It's on a Discord server where they, they train and they're in a little platoon together and stuff. Um, and so that's quite different as well. Um, they still have kind of, they've still got lots of kind of, I think, sentimental memories of the games we used to play. Um, like we were watching the Nintendo Direct yesterday. Yes, yeah. Um, and some of the games are, are we are kind of refreshing brands like Wii Sports, which we played a lot of. I was going to say, did you all get time. excited when Wii Sports popped up? I yeah. got excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the Mario Soccer game as well is, is one we played loads on the Wii and actually carried on playing you um, with backwards compatibility. And so, again, they were really, they were playing that like yeah we you know i always used to be a cooper or whatever we would team up together and so so there's that kind of i think you have the kind of the family stories about the games that means that then the the franchises and the experiences that you come back to together you've got already that sort of it's like it's like the christmas movies that you always used to watch it's just great to go back to them and so there's that kind of influence as well so and you just it's just it's just kind of games are just part of this fabric of family life um like anything else and I think if that's happening, that's a really positive thing. The danger is that they float off and they become this separate thing. Like family life happens here and games happen over here. So then naturally they compete. Uh, and there's usually the parents are here against the games and the kids are over here. And so if you can, if you can get that into the same kind of like cognitive space, um, then suddenly the conversations are very different and you just have more fun. Like, it's great. I love, I love hearing about the games my kids are playing and figuring out, well, how can you get better? What are you doing wrong here? Don't just grind. You need to you know, watch some replays and be intentional about this. And I bought my son a book about sports psychology and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that kind of back and forth is easy to miss out on because you feel like you're not needed as a parent. But actually, we really are. But we don't know that until we sort of step into this sort of stuff. So it's exciting to help help parents do that. And when they do, it's really powerful. So it's a great it's a great area. 
So to tie everything we've spoken about together, if you could give, this is going to be, this is a very big question here. Um, If you could give your biggest piece of advice to a parent whose child is getting involved in esports or just gaming at a like higher level, what, what would you say to a parent who's sort of reluctant at first? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you can see it like a valuable thing. Um, and so the journey, the destination is to sort of see it like it's them learning an instrument or learning a foreign language, because those are things we're naturally enthusiastic about. Like if our child's learning an instrument, we're not like, oh, they're getting addicted to that clarinet. Like they keep playing it. We're like, yes, go on. You're doing, you're getting so much better. Like, like, a, year, like a year ago, you couldn't do this. And now you can do this. And so moving the conversation about esports into this territory is a good step. But at the same time, I think it's important to let yourself process this and kind of talk to other parents, maybe even talk to your kids about concerns um, and sort of create create conversations and opportunities to sort of say, well, is this is this balancing is are other parts of your life suffering and not to try and hide those fears and worries, but just to sort of have it as this natural part of life in a context where maybe you've played some games yourself, um, but you're supporting what they're doing. And you're aware that they probably need you to help guide them towards success uh, and to be ambitious. Like, like maybe they're ambitious to do to do well in a certain thing. But it's like, well, what's the longer term aim? Like, is this just about winning this particular competition or, you know, what are you are you wanting to be a coach like later? Like when you're older and there's other people playing, what's what happens after esports? Um, what skills would you need? What are you set up for? What are the opportunities in this industry? And so playing that role of kind of adult in the but not the adult is just putting the brakes on. But sometimes, you know, sometimes if it's got out of hand, it's fine to say, look, you've done no homework this week. You can't play. You know, it's fine. It's, it's fine to be in control as a parent. But at the same time, having a context of understanding and support means that you, you can you, hopefully you've got that equity in that space of esports like you do in other areas of your children's life. So so you can have a proper conversation and you have the chance, you know, you're listening to them as well conversation it's not just parents kind of winning an argument because of it's addictive or it's making it violent or i don't know those sorts of things so um yeah it's it's tricky though and i would you know i want to support parents to say it's worrying you know when they when they play a lot um because of the because of the media because of the, t- the moment we're in because we don't know about the science um but the best the best thing is engagement and support so um that's not that's not a succinct answer but that's that's the kind of things I think you need to be sort of working towards. Lovely. So I'm now going to pass over to the lovely Saul to do our very famous this or that segment for you. Yes. So we will be putting you on the spot a little okay. bit here. Um, but a little bit of fun. And yeah. if you feel like you need a few minutes to think, <laughs> by all means, chuck to one of ours and we'll answer first. So over to you, Saul. Perfect. Yeah, so this is a, a new segment, I guess, because we're only two episodes and it still counts as new. Uh, it's a new segment uh, where we ask, I guess, which of the two options they prefer and why. So the, the two options that we've, we've thought about today are single player versus multiplayer games. So we're kind of coming at the angle of like, with you, obviously you, you say you, like, you play games with, you, with your kids and stuff and whether or not maybe you prefer that over some of the single player experiences maybe that you, you've had over the years. Um, so I guess to give you some thinking time, I'll I'll go first. I think for me, see, I I do play a lot of multiplayer games. I'm I'm thinking more 
kind of like online in terms of like like League of Legends or Counter Strike and things like that, where it is the multiplayer aspect. But I also play games with, with my wife as well. We play things like Overcooked, and we were due to start Portal Two at some point soon. Um, when as much as I like, I think the multiplayer aspect. If I think of it from a point of view of what games have had the most impact and the most kind of like meaningful what meaningful experiences have I had through games that I've enjoyed the most, I probably would lean, I think, towards single player more so often. I think about like all the the stealth games. I just I love those kind of games and they're all single player games. Um but I think of things like uh like Undertale, I know Undertale is always the one that gets like memed on loads now because it's it wasn't really mainstream and then became mainstream and everyone always goes on about Undertale now. But Undertale, the the experience I had in that game was something like I'd, I'd never had before. Just the style of game where suddenly it remembers when you'd quit out the game and gone back and it's like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Like that kind of experience, I think I've had more of those experiences, I think, through single player games than I, than I have so with multiplayer games. So for me, I think I'm siding on the side of, of single player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Should I go? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, for me, wh- what I like are games that tell stories where I, I can play a role and be part of. Be part of. And so usually that is the single player games. Like if I have to pick a, a one game, it would be Last of Us Part 2, um, which I'm always like, because often I'm in a school and, and kids or parents are like, what's your favourite game? And I'm usually like, well, I, this, isn't, this is an inconvenient game for me to like because it's so violent. But this is, <laughs> this is the truth. You know, this is the, the game that I connected to. And so that that um, is obviously a single player game. Although I, when I play it, I really enjoy playing that with other people. So taking turns, having you know, talk, talking in the same room. And I quite I like playing because I love the game. When you play it with somebody else, you know, at the controls or, or taking turns, um, you get to see different parts of the game that because they play it differently. Um, you know, they're scared by different bits or they they have a different approach in different ways. So that is, although it's single player, it's quite community oriented. But I also I do like games that let you collaborate and kind of tell stories. So Sea of Thieves, I don't play a lot of, but I love that kind of feel of you're jumping into a world that is living. Um, but then but then you're able it's loose enough that you're able to kind of make your own way without having to deal too directly with other players. Although I'm always getting, you know, there's that whole you do a do a mission, get the treasure, and then you get <laughs> you get um, get got by by someone who comes and steals your treasure. But you know, it's pirates, isn't it? That's kind of the nature of the thing. So anything that's got a story like that, I think I'll go for. Um, and like you know, Portal Two, I've really enjoyed. And again, because there's quite a strong story. Um, but even really simple games like um, Wilmot's Warehouse. Have you seen that? It's a very that's a very niche game where you're organising boxes in a warehouse and the boxes have symbols um and but you have to get them to the customers in time and so it's two players um and you soon realize the game doesn't enforce this but you soon realize that you have to you have to organize your stock if you're going to get it there in time and so with the other player you have to start interpreting what does this symbol mean oh it's a roller skate oh let's put it with the transport oh what's this one oh it's a yo-yo so it goes with the toys and then you're like you have this kind of debate of like where did you put the pineapples you know (laughs) why are they over here oh i thought that was a toy and so again there's that kind of emergent kind of storytelling um and then the the other the other game which i i love um again i haven't played loads of it but i've it's really stuck with me as a concept is um one hour one life the jason rora game so again this is a very niche game but it's a it's a, a online game you play um, but the, the novelty is that you only you, every go in the game only lasts one hour, and you start at the beginning. It's like a survival game, like Binding of Isaac, that kind of don't starve, probably not more like don't starve. 
but you start as a, as a helpless baby um, at the beginning of the hour. By the end of the hour, you're an old person and you've passed away. Um, and so you have to do everything to, to, that you're going to do within that hour, which means that when you start, you're dependent on other players in the game to actually look after you as a baby. So you get born to another player. And it's up to them, like, whether they look after you. Like, if they're very busy, some, some of the other players will just take you into the woods and leave you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> But hope, but and you can you can, you can only talk to them very briefly with just like single letters to begin with. So you're trying to like make a connection with these players by single letters, be like, you know, hello, I I want to be your child sort of thing. <laughs> what a bad concept. As, as you then progress, you know, you then you then start to contribute. So it's worth them keeping keeping you around because you can like do harvesting and stuff, and you work together. And then at the end of your life, then you need to figure out well, who you're going to pass on if you've done to because you can't keep it with you. So you need to find other players you're connected to and pass them on the like the equipment you've made and the clothing you've made. And often there's kind of like um, sort of traditions that have sprung up about about these little villages that have been made and the different the different like stories that you need to pass on. And if you don't pass them on, then the next generation won't know. So anyway, that, that those sorts of games that have this kind of emergence sort of play, I think are really, help, are really, really powerful. Um, and so on the multiplayer side, that's what I'd look for. But really it's the thing for me is, has it got a really good narrative? Whether that's preset or whether that's kind of with other players. Yeah. So I kind of dodged the question. Haven't I? <laughs> so, yeah. I lean more towards multiplayer just because I like the social aspect of it. So I'm fully invested in Overwatch. I play like with my family so it's normally my dad me um my sister my fiance and then we normally get friends so we end up being a six stack and we play together and we just have fun and i really like strategy and oh we need to do this to do this mm. or we need to change how we're doing this to do this and i like that it's fast paced too and it, it makes me feel that sense of urgency and I need to think now and to win we need to do this now and I just really like multiplayer games mainly for the social as I mentioned but mm. I say like things like the Resident Evil games and I've played through the Borderlands games solo but as well as co-op um the single I like the single player mainly for the same as you Andy but the story side I like to yeah. have a narrative and so I'm currently playing through Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach, Ooh. which is buggy as heck. Yeah. But it's got a very good narrative because I've been, fo- like, it's re-emerged. I've been following Five Nights at Freddy's since I was, like, 12. So it took this massive break. And I know it's aimed for kids, but if you look at the lore behind it, it's pretty grim stuff. Like, it's not intent. The law is not for children. Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> scary. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that, and... that's a part of it, isn't it? It's not just the game itself. It's the ecosystem around the game. Often, I'm telling parents that that's kind of, you know, it's the it's the kind of the literature, whether that's kind of fan literature or whether that is law, mythos, uh, or or actual novels. Like I've I've been playing Bioshock recently. And I've enjoyed going back to the Bioshock kind of novel that's set before Rapture set up, and that's been fascinating. So I get what you're saying. But, but yeah, other than that, like I I think multiplayer for me is probably the best. Yeah, see the the one experience I guess I've had recently is I've me my 
my wife is just for so many years has been so against minecraft because she's just like well what do you even do you just build a house and there's no story i don't want to play this game uh, but we've recently just started playing with a group of friends and i think it's that social aspect that's really brought her around to playing it where it's just like well yeah i'm building a house but i'm going out and i'm following my friends around riding horses and like shearing sheep and whatever else so yeah that would be the only i think current game that i'm playing that maybe make me lean more towards the multiplayer especially recently but yeah all right well thank you so much uh for, for your answers i think that pretty much brings us to the end of the podcast so andy it's been a pleasure to, to have you here and to discuss um the the parent side of, of gaming and esports i know I'm, I'm hoping that I'll, uh the people are listening and watching have have taken something away from that i know i've i've certainly found all this conversation really fascinating so i'm going to point my parents in uh, this direction to get them to have a listen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so yeah thank you so much and thank you everyone uh who's been watching or listening uh we'll be back with episode three sometime soon uh guest unconfirmed uh but we'll have someone ready again for the next time uh in the meantime uh stay safe have fun playing whatever games you're playing through at the minute and we'll catch you next time thank you very much thank you bye bye